This morning we want to look at the term elder. On its face, it may seem like a very simple term. But there is some discussion about the term that I think is important for us to to recognize and to, to understand. In fact, the terms that we're going to use in the first three lessons are the term elder, bishop, and shepherd. And by these terms, we're going to be something of the men and the kind of man we're talking about that the Bible presents to us as someone that is an elder. And so when you first think about that term, you think about it from the standpoint of the background of it. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, you have this statement, Likewise, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. Notice in this particular passage something very important. You have a contrast that's here. You have a contrast between younger people and your elders. Just an indicator for you. When you see the contrast there, it is a contrast of age. When the Greeks spoke, they did not have the three delineations we have, old, middle-aged, and young. They just had the two delineations, that is, younger and older. And oftentimes, it was not even young adults. For example, we talk about the children who are young play in the street, but the old men lean on their cane. You're talking about the, the spectrum of age that falls there between the old and the young. And here you have in 1 Peter chapter 5, speaking about the age of people. You think about a mutual submission that's here. You younger people submit yourselves, your elders, as all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. So here he's talking about something that is a clear delineation that has to do with something that is significant relating to age. In the book of Isaiah, you'll have the idea that is expressed with regard to a respect for your elders. And as it's used there, it's talking about young, young, younger who are insolent. Younger who are insolent toward those of age. And the term begins to take a, a different connotation to it other than just simply relative to age as much as it is a respect a term of respect and a term of honor in hebrews chapter 11 in hebrews chapter 11 and verse 2 you see something that is very similar to this or verse 3 rather he says for by it the elders obtain a good testimony for understand that the worlds were framed by the word of god so that the things which were Seen were not made of things which are visible. But notice verse 2, he says, For, the el- for by it the elders obtain a good testimony. He's talking about the ancients. He's about the patriarchs. And they're called elders because of their place among the people. But he's talking about the ancients that are there. And he's talking about a term of respect and honor. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 2, 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 6. You have the discussion here that goes on with Rehoboam. Solomon has died, and now Rehoboam has taken over. And he begins to look at the things that, that have to do with the 
the partaking or the, the way you're going to order the nation. And so it says, Now the days of David drew near, verse 1, that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go away of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies. As it's written in the law of Moses, you may prosper in all that you do, whatever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their ways to walk before me in the truth with all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not like a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you shall know <clears throat> also whom Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, and what he did to the two co commanders of the army of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, to Amisa, the son of Jathar, whom he killed and he shed blood of war in peacetime and the blood of war, he said, on his belt was around his waist and on his sandals and they were on his head. Therefore do according to the wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. The idea of the gray hair is the idea of something that is a return of respect and honor. And again, when you have Solomon or Rehoboam, when he comes on the throne, it says he called the council of the elders and the young men. The council of the elders had to do something that sent something more than just simply the fact he called the council of old men. He called the council of elders, those who were men who under, were understood to have something of respect and honor that was due to, to their station in life and what they, had, had, what they had earned in life with regard to their experiences. Turn to 2 John. To 2 John. And look as it begins in verse 1. 2 John in verse 1. Very simple it says, speaking of John, the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, not only I also, but all who have known the truth. And then look at 3 John. You see the same opening. Speaking of John, the elder, the beloved guest, whom I love in truth. Another significant thing to observe is that in the Greek language, there was no specific article for A. It doesn't say John, a elder. It really, it would say an elder to be grammatically correct. But there was no specific article for A. There was a specific article for thee. And when the specific article of thee is given, it is given with great attention. When it says, John the elder, you're not talking, here John is an older man. John is an older man at this point. But he's not talking about his age. It's not about John, the man of respect and the man of honor. And as John, the man of respect and the man of honor speaks, he says, to my children, and he addresses them. The book of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are the books of John the old man. And so he begins by speaking of that. But in speaking of an age-related term, he's calling attention to a man that is worthy of respect and honor, not just simply his age. It, many times when you have the word old used in the Bible, or sometimes it's connected with the term elder also, it speaks with regard to the reference or the results of age. For example, you have in the book of Ecclesiastes, he will talk about the man is old and blind, age and results of age, the, the defects of age, the verities of age that come, the verities that come with age. So here's a man that's old and blind. Here, here you have a man that's old and, and his sight is gone. 
And many times you have the idea of uh, age contrasted with young, that here the young are vibrant and here the old have the decrepancies of age that go with them. And so sometimes when you have that word old or elder being used, it's used with regard to the decrepancies of age or the deficiencies of age that come along and associate themselves with a person who is a person of age. But as the term came along, as the term began to develop, the term took on a, 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 a significance of something pointed more to than just a number. Just a few sidebars, a few extra biblical uh, pieces of information. Just to kind of give you the range of things. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's information contained in the Dead Sea Scrolls that they would have a council or a group of leaders that would meet. They'd have three priests and three elders, and they would sit in a position of judgment. And the ages of those who were called the elders was a span of between 25 and 60 years of age. And they were called elders. Obviously, that would not be a term that would be, be, be a term that related to age because in nobody's book is 25 old. But there was something about the respect and honor that went with the person in that spectrum of ages. Furthermore, Kittle in his theological word studies, talking about the word elder, among the pagan gods in the pagan temples, they would have priests that would serve in one order, one time in their life. And the ages are given, and they're called elders who are serving in the temple. The ages are given between 30, 35, and 45. Now, I'm not trying to use those two extra-biblical pieces of information to document or try to persuade you in any way that a 25-year-old is someone that's going to fit the description we're going to further explore. But I do give them to you as extra-biblical consideration to show you that it wasn't always a term that was related to a number related to an age. In fact, when you have the age considerations in the New Testament times, and this is true in Old Testament times too, past the times when the ages were, were distant or were long, the average age was about 60 years old. And so someone that was called old was about 60, and if they lived to be 70, they were called very old. In fact, there's another term to describe people that are very old. You'll have in the Gospel of Luke, you'll have, uh, you'll have Anna that's there, and it talks about a woman that is four score and five years old, and she was very old. You'll have Moses talking about in Psalm chapter 90 that three score in 10 years, 70 years. And if by reason of use and age, you have 10 more years, and you're going to have frailties that go with 10 more years by the time you're 80 years old. We live longer. And so we think of an old age. When I think of old age, I think of 96 years old. When my dad reached 90, he said, I'm just an old man. Well, in the way that we calculate ages, 90's old. There's no way to get around it. But when they were talking about old, they were talking about somebody that was 60, maybe 70 years old, old. And older than that, they were called very old. So the number was relative to them is what I'm trying to get you to see. And even, even beyond biblical times, even in the Gentile world, even in the Gentile world, the term elder took on a significance that was more than just simply a number related to the person chronologically. And so when you think about that, what you're thinking about is someone that is accomplished, that has some accomplishment and wisdom and stature 
that goes with a person that, had, that is worthy of respect and honor. And so when you think about that, you're talking about someone then that moves into another category. And we talk about those who are Old Testament representatives. Look at some passages with me. Turn back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Look at Exodus chapter 3 and look beginning, first of all, in verse 16. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 16. Here Moses, speaking to the children of Israel, tells them, Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Notice what he said. Go and gather the elders of Israel. And he says, I have surely seen what has happened to you in Egypt. You, just the elders? No, go on. And I've said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and all these other people, to the land that is full of milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt. Notice, first of all, he says, gather the elders of Israel together, and I have heard your cry. You, just the elders of Israel? No, when you look at the larger story, he's heard the cry of all of Israel. But who's he referenced here? He references the elders of Israel. Just the old, man of, old men of Israel? No, he's, he's referencing those who are representatives of Israel. And then when he tells them, These, this is who I want to go stand before, before Pharaoh. He says, then they'll heed your voice and you shall come in the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt. So Moses is going to come and the elders of Israel are going to come. Just the old men of Israel? No. Those who are representatives of the people are going to come. And so he says, the Lord God of Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Who's speaking there? Moses and the elders, those who are representatives of Israel are speaking. But there's something else that's significant here. And they also not simply are representatives. These elders stand also in the place of spiritual leaders to the people. Because they're also echoing the voice of Moses here. Then they will heed your voice. And you shall come. Your voice who? Moses and the elders. The elders of Israel. They stand as representatives, and they stand as spiritual leaders of the people. Look at chapter, verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. And so here Moses is beginning to offer excuses for why he should not go. The Lord's already, already told him. You go and you call the elders of Israel to go with you. Moses is not going to be alone. He's going to have representatives of the people that are going to be there too. But Moses says, what if they say, who sent me? So you come to verse 29 of chapter 4. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And notice what happens. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of all the people. So the people believed. And when they heard the Lord had visited the children of Israel, 
that he looked in their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. What did these elders who Aaron and Moses gathered do? They spoke the word of God to them. Here, Moses and Aaron speak through the representatives of the people. They speak to the representatives. They're called the elders of Israel. Here are the elders of the nation. This is a national consideration. Not just the old men of the nation, not because they've reached a particular age, but here, here are men who are worthy of trust and honor. They've accumulated wisdom. And they have a place that's before the people as representatives and spiritual leaders of the people. Turn to Exodus chapter 18. I'm sorry, chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. And look beginning in verse 2. Exodus 17 and verse 2. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord your God? Now, I didn't mention this, but, but back in Exodus chapter 4, you have two, two plus, maybe three million people that are talked about here. So he says, Gather all of Israel. You gather the elders of Israel. He's not talking about gathering all three million people. You're gathering the representatives of the nation. But now you have that two plus, maybe three million people that are going in the wilderness and they don't have any water. So y'all remember last year when we had snow and ice begetting and some of us didn't leave the water dripping and so some of us were without water for a week and lo and behold, here come Matt and Jonathan Jones toting water all over the congregation, leaving jugs and bottles of water, cases of water all over the place. Well, we had 400 people without water. Some of you left your pipes dripping, I know, but I didn't. And so Matt and Jonathan come to my house, and you can have a bucket of snow, by the way, and it makes that much water, I learned. It doesn't get you by. Well, if you're out of water, call Matt and Jonathan, they can bring you water. But not in the desert. And not with two plus million people. And so you've got two plus million people, they're going through the wilderness here, and they don't have any water for themselves or their animals. And so they're rising up against Moses. Verse 4 says, chapter 17, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod, which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. Go get the elders and go strike the rock. Who saw him strike the rock? The two plus million people? No, those who are representatives of the people. So you have the elders here that stand as representatives, and they also stand as spiritual leaders. Now I want you to get the accumulation of evidence here. The term elder does come to us by a term that means old. Vines in his expository dictionary talks about the term from the standpoint of old, but it also talks about, Vines in his dictionary, talks about the term presbyter being one of spiritual maturity. One of spiritual maturity of trust and honor. And here we see one of trust and honor who is a representative of the people. Here are those 
who occupy a place more than just simply that of age. Look at chapter, Exodus chapter 18 and verse 12. Then the Lord said to Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he took a burnt offering and offered sacrifices to God. And Aaron came also with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses and the father-in-law before God. And Jethro says, listen, listen Moses, you're taking too much for yourself. You need to find somebody to help you. Well, you don't go find old men to be old. Old men are old whether you find them or not. Go find those who will be elders of Israel to help you in what you're doing there. And so they stand as representatives. Another consideration is not only are spiritual leaders, but you see their influence in the nation as well. And you see their influence in the nation as teachers. Turn back to Exodus chapter 12 again. Exodus chapter 12. And we're just walking through these passages to show how this was viewed in, in Bible times and how, how, they, how these men were viewed. Look at their role as teachers here. He said, beginning in verse 3, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Now back up to verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month, and then Moses and Aaron speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, Moses and Aaron, you speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying this. But now look at verse 21 of the same chapter. Look up 21 through 28. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, strike the lintel to doorpost with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. The Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel on two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door, not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons. It shall come to pass, for you come to the land which the Lord gave you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say it's the Passover of the sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel and Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our household, so the people bowed their heads and worshipped. The children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. But how did Moses and Aaron do that? Verse 21. They called for the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out the lambs. The elders are the representatives of the people, and they're speaking through the elders to tell the nation to do this. So what you have is you have those who influence the nation. They're the vital in support to God's leaders, as they were with Moses. They're vital support of God. They are men who who are respected, but they also teach, encourage, and instruct. Here these men are going to teach the children of Israel to do, these, to do these things, and they're encouraging them to do what Moses said. Did Moses accomplish what God said? Yes. How? Through the elders of Israel. So we see them to be men of influence. We see them to be men of support, men who are leaders, men who are respected. You see them men who teach and encourage. Look at Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 7. 
So Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before the elders, laid before them all, them all the elders, all these words which the Lord had commanded. So here you see they're supposed to be teachers and they're supposed to be representatives. But look at Leviticus chapter 4. There's something else that we see significant here in Leviticus chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Now the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally. And the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord. Is anything which should not be done and are guilty. When the son, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly offers a young bull for the sin offering and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting, and the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. It wasn't just the priest that came and brought the sacrifices and offered sacrifices. The elders of Israel came, brought the sacrifices, and offered the sacrifices. And so they stand here as men who bring and offer sacrifices. They stand here as men who teach, who represent, teach, instruct, encourage, and support spiritual leaders. That's what you see when you begin to see something about how the term is used from a historical reference point. I want you to look at it from the standpoint of its association now. Look at Numbers chapter 11. Look at Numbers chapter 11. Look at Numbers chapter 11, and look beginning in verse 16 of Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, beginning in verse 16. Notice the context here, and it has to associate with things, with others. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Now I want you to get the scene that's here. Here you have all the elders of Israel, the elders of the children of Israel. But then he says, bring to me 70 men of the children of Israel. So you have the elders of Israel from a national standpoint. But he said, of all those elders from the national standpoint, I want you to bring me 70 of them. 70 elders, and they're going to be officers. Elders and officers are the same men. Elders and officers are not two different men, they're the same man. So look again at verse 24 through 25. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was with upon them and placed the same 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. Notice here you have the elders and the officers, elders and leaders, and here they begin to prophesy. So you have the elders of the nation, out of the elders of the nation, you bring 70. And these 70 are now going to prophesy. You have the same credentials that are mentioned here. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. chapter 21 and verses 1 through 11. Now all the time do they function in an audible way. Because in verses 1 through 11 of 1 Kings chapter 21, you have here the story of Naboth. And you recall that Ahab sees his vineyard and wants his vineyard. And he comes home pouting to Jezebel about how Naboth won't sell him his vineyard. He's got his thumb stuck in his mouth, sucking his thumb while he's talking to Mama Jezebel. And she pats him on the head. I'm 
I'm enhancing here. This is from the book of Ricky. He's patting him on the head and saying, oh, poor Ahab, bless your sweetheart. Don't worry about it, baby. Bless your sweetheart. I know you want it. You keep sucking your thumb. Mama Jezebel, go get that for you. But notice how it happens. Verse 11. So many of his city, the elders and nobles of the inhabitants of the city, did as Jezebel had sent to them. And it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. Here you have the elders that come and represent, but they failed to protect the innocent, and they failed to render justice. So here you have them as representatives, but they're not representing God. They still stand as representatives. They still stand as leaders. When, when Jezebel calls for the elders and the nobles, she's not calling for two different kinds. She's talking about the elders who are seen as nobles. And she's not talking about, here, call the old men, call those who are of some age, calls those who are seen by all as being noble, but they're not noble. And so you see, they behave in a very uh, miscreant kind of, kind of way. Then turn to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra, just a moment. And turn to Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5. And look at verses 8 through 10 of Ezra chapter 5. So here you have the decree that Darius is going to come. He's going to send the children of Israel back. They're going to be able to go back and rebuild the city. Let be known to the king, verse 8, Ezra chapter 5, verse 8. Let be known to the king that went into the province of Judea to the temple of the great God, which is built with heavy stones, timbers laid the walls, and his work goes on diligently and prospers in the land. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls. So now they're being challenged. We also asked their names to inform you they might write the names of the men who were chief among them. Notice elders, chief among them. Not elders who are old among them, but elders who are chief among them. So here you have this group of people that are coming and challenging them, but they come to the elders. Why? Because the elders are representative of the people. But look at chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. And therefore, Tetanai, governor of the region beyond the river, and your companions, the Persians, who are beyond the river, keep yourselves far from it. Let the work of the house of God, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build the house of God on its site. He says, Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of the Jews, for the building of this house of God. Let the cost be at the king's expense for the taxes on the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately to these men, so they are not hindered to which men? The elders. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, lambs for burnt offerings of God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without, he says, without fail. Verse 14. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet Zechariah the son of Idu. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel, according to the command of Cyrus, Darius Artaxerxes, king of Persia. What do you see? You see here, these elders stand as representatives of the people. They stand, they're going to be representatives of the people. And as representatives of the people, they're going to help build the temple at the help and the behest of Ezra and also Zechariah. But who do they come to? They come to the elders of the Jews. They come to those who are men who are understood to represent the people, who have trust and honor, who because 
of their experience and wisdom. They're men who have been set apart by the nation to be in this position for them. But then I want you to see it as it's relative to judgment. It's more than just a position. They're talking about men of honor. Turn back to Deuteronomy with me. Deuteronomy chapter 19. I want you to see these men who are elders also sit in a, in a place of judgment as well. And the judgment sometimes was, was considered severe. Look at chapter 19 of Deuteronomy in verse 12. So taking place here, you have the cities of refuge that have been set up. Remember the cities of refuge that were set up? So if someone innocently did something, they could, plead to the city, they could flee to the city of refuge, and there they would find, they'd find refuge. And sometimes even somebody that was guilty could see, plead to, uh, flee to the city of refuge, and there find safety. But now back up to verse, ver, verse, uh, back up to verse 7. Therefore I command you, saying, Separate three cities for yourselves. Now if the Lord your God enlarges your territory... As he swore to your fathers, he gives you the land which he promised to give you to your fathers. If you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, you shall add three more cities for yourselves beside these. So you have six. Lest innocent blood should be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and thus guilt of blood shall be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him, rises against him and strikes him mortally, so he dies, he flees to one of these cities. Then the elders of the city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of the blood that he may die. What are the elders doing? They're sitting in judgment. Here the, here the question comes before the elders. The elders have to what? They have to determine the innocence or the guilt. They're the ones that sit as judges. They determine the, the innocence or the guilt of the man. Look again in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 19. And this is the case of the man who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in time past, as when a man goes to the woods, his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings an axe, and the axe cut down, it flees, the head slips from the handle, strikes his neighbor so he dies, he shall flee to one of these cities and live. But now who's going to determine the innocence or the guilt? The elders are. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22, and look at verse 15. Look back up to verse 13. Deuteronomy 22 and verse, verse, uh, verse 13. If anyone takes a wife and goes into her and detests her and charges her with shameful conduct and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. And the father or mother of the young woman shall take and bring out evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as wife, and he detest her. And they charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin, and yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. What's happening here? The elders are occupying a place of judgment, even to determine not a man's innocent or guilt, but to determine a young woman's virginity or not. Turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 
2 Samuel chapter 12, and look at verses, uh, verses 15 through 17. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and became ill. And therefore David pleaded, pleaded for the child. David fasted, went in, and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose. Went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Who came into David? The elders did. The elders of his house. So you have elders of the nation. You have the elders that are called the 70. Now you have the elders of his house. Is he simply talking about the old men of the house came? Those who were of some old age came? No, the elders of his house those who understood in the house of David to be noble and leaders, those who understand in the house of David to, to be men who could be trusted. Here are men in the house of David that occupied the role as elders of the house, and they come to David. They had to make a judgment about something. David, it's time to get up, and David wouldn't listen to them. So you see, they exercised judgment. Sometimes it was severe. I didn't cover the passage, but I'll just enumerate it for you. Remember when the parents had a child and the child was of some age? I'm not talking about a four-year-old here. But the child was of some age and the, and the child was rebellious. Who'd, they bring, who'd the parents bring the child to? They brought him to the, to the elders. What did the elders determine? They determined whether the child lived or died. You see, they sat in a serious place of judgment. That's part of the role they occupied. But then I want you to see it from the standpoint of elders and kings. Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Here you have the story of Saul. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 15. The Lord said, Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the Lord. And then you come down to verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Samuel says to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint, but now Saul doesn't heed the voice of the Lord. And not heeding the voice of the Lord, he sins. Well, wait a minute, isn't Saul king? Yes. Doesn't Saul as king have authority over everything? Obviously not. Because of verse 30, he said, I have sinned, yet on me, please, before the elders of my people. Simply before the old men of his people? Oh, here you're talking about men who had favor among the people. Here are men who had found favor among, bring them among the men who had found favor and respect among the people. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. In 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 17. Abner's going to appeal for David to be king, but notice who appeals to verse 17. Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel saying, in time past, you were seeking for David to be king over you. See, he's not king yet. Now then do it. Find the Lord has spoken to David saying, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all the enemies. 
And Abner spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David and Hebron. All that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and the twenty men with him came to David at Hebron. And David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will rise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king. That they may make a covenant with you. And that they may reign over all your heart desires. So Abner went away and went in peace. But who does he come to to do that? He comes to the elders to do that. Abner comes to the elders of Israel to have David recognized as the king. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 17. Speaking of David as king. And look at 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 15. David is fleeing from the presence of Absalom. And Ahithophel has turned the tables on David. Now he's become the counselor to Absalom. But Absalom also has Hushai. But in chapter, chapter 17, verse 15, Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, and to Ahithophel, thus so, thus so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. What's the appeal? The appeal is, can David come back and be king? But when David wants to come back and be king, who gets to determine whether David comes back to be king or not? The elders do. Wait a minute, David's king. Can he come back? No. They have to come to the elders first to get permission from the elders for David to come back and be king after he's fled from Absalom. Do you see the position they occupied in the nation? They occupied a position of respect, a position of honor. A position that was representative, a position of wisdom, a position of judgment. They're men who were trusted as spiritual leaders and trusted because they found favor with the people. Even with Saul as king and David as king coming back to be king. They had that position. Even over the kings they occupied that. They even had the ability to pass judgment on people for life or death. They're men who exercised discipline over the people is the point. But let's change the tack just a moment. Let's look at a few things Relative to the New Testament. Turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Look at Mark chapter 7. And this time verse 3. For the, El for the Pharisees and the Jews... Do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. And what that says is, like in the days of Naboth, they're not infallible. Here are the elders, here are the elders that were here, and they're honoring the traditions more than honoring the word of God. And so as spiritual leaders, they're not leading people to God, they're leading people away from God. Then turn to Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 20, you remember that Paul meets with the elders at Ephesus. And when they are about to part, they fall on each other's neck. They, they cry because they're afraid they're not going to see each other anymore. And you come to Acts chapter 21, and you come to verse 15, beginning here. Acts chapter 21, and reading down to verse 18. After those days, we packed up and went to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain man of Nason, of Cyprus, and every disciple with them, we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren had, had, had received us gladly. 
And the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. Here you have, not just the old men were present, but here you have the men who were elders that represented us as men who were overseers or watching men, men who are part of the council. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. And notice here the elders as a part of a council. Verse 21 of Matthew 16. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Notice, from the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Not just the old men among them, but here you have the elders of the nation. Also the chief priests and the scribes that are there. They're part of a council. They're part of a governing body. Here are men part of a governing body. Then turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And look at verse 4. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on thrones I sat 24 elders. Sitting clothed in white robes. They had crowns of gold on their heads. Here are men who are positions of leadership. Here are men who are, who are prominent. Here are men who are rulers. Not just simply 24 old men sit around the throne, but here you have these men who are prominent, who are rulers and leaders of the people. And there's one other thing we'll talk about, and then I'll bring this to a close. When you open the book of Acts, and you begin to trace through the book of Acts, I'm just going to summarize this part for time's sake. You come to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 6. And the gifts that are brought for those who are needy are laid at the feet of the apostles. The elders aren't mentioned. Not until Acts chapter 11. In fact, if you'd like to be turned to Acts chapter 14, I'll be there in just a moment. Not until Acts chapter 11. Not until Acts chapter 11 are elders even mentioned. In the last part of Acts chapter 11, you have the collection that is made that is brought and going to be distributed to the elders of the churches of Judea. Acts chapter 11 is probably some six to eight years after Acts chapter 2 is taking place. Some people say as much as 14 years, but I think probably closer to six to eight years, maybe even 10 years after Acts chapter 2 takes place. It's not until maybe 10 years after Acts chapter 2 do elders even appear in the book of Acts. Before that, all the gifts were brought and brought to the feet of the apostles. On Paul's first missionary journey, he goes throughout the country. In Acts chapter 14, then, they're coming back confirming the people. Two years later, two years have passed now. In verse 23 of Acts chapter 14, So they had appointed elders in every church and prayed fasting. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. On the first missionary journey they go through, there's no elders in these churches. He comes back through two years later to confirm the churches, and now they have elders appointed. Didn't take them 40 years. Two years later, they have it done. Now what begins to take place, after Acts chapter 14, it says apostles and elders. You come to Acts chapter 15, you have the problem of circumcision that's there, and apostles and elders are there. He's not saying they're equivalent to the same thing they do. You have apostles that have one role, elders have another role, but their judgment is equivalent. The representation before the people is equivalent. Their respect among the people is equivalent. They stand on the same level of respect as the apostles are. You have now apostles and elders that do that. But notice, they go through and they teach these churches in Acts chapter 14, the first missionary journey, they come back through. Two years later, they have elders. Listen, 
First Timothy and Titus hadn't been written yet. How in the world they know how to do it? Because they didn't have First Timothy and Titus. The reason they knew how to do it was because even among the Gentiles, elders were a prominent role in their life. They'd had them in their history. They understood elders of the nation. They understood elders of the city. They understood the elders that were pulled out. They understood the role of elders among the people, and they understood they occupied something more than just a station of age among them. That there was a spiritual maturity. There was respect that was there. There was an honor that was there. They were teachers. They were rulers. They were leaders. They were prominent. They were influential. They were men whose judgment had been proven among the people. And because that's what they had been familiar with, they're only been established now two years. They come back and there's elders in every city and every church there. They come back through after the first missionary journey because they knew what elders were. I mentioned last week, this church has had the blessing of having elders for 41 years. I preached in Del Rio. That church had been in existence for 35 years and never had elders. In February of 86, we appointed three men as elders. Neither they nor the church literally knew what to do with them because they'd never seen them. That was the problem here in the first missionary journey. Hopefully this church knows something about what elders are beyond just an age, but their wisdom, their judgment, their maturity, their strength, their leadership, their teachers, their role as, as leaders and men of discipline and men of judgment, men who, who, you have, who have found favored among you. And that's been exemplified for you. Let me sum this up with just a few questions for you. If you take the motif I've painted for you this morning, walking you through the Bible, if you're going to consider a man to be an elder, more than just a number that attends him, would you expect this kind of man to be blameless? Would you expect this kind of man to be temperate and sober-minded? Would you expect this kind of man to be not given to anger, not given to wine, and not greedy? Would you consider this kind of man not to be quarrelsome but gentle? Not a novice? Would you consider this kind of man not to be puffed up with pride? A man that's able to communicate? A man that's even hospitable with people? From his family's point of view, would you expect this man to be a man who demonstrated loyalty to his wife? And even had the respect of his children? And they follow his example? Would it be consistent to expect this man to be a man of good reputation? Have the respect of others and be a man whose authority would be respected? Would we expect this man to be versed in God's word and able to stand up for it and defend it? Would this be the kind of man whose example we would encourage others to follow? And we'll be following because he's demonstrated he's honest and he willingly gives himself for others? Could we find this kind of spiritually mature man? 
Could we? Would that be the kind of man that you would think would be representative of a man that would be an elder? Let me ask you something. Is that rocket science? If we walk through the terms and we understand what the term is and we can see how it's used in the Bible, see how they use it in the Bible, then when this church begins to look out among herself to find someone that will serve as an elder, it's not just a man who has reached some chronology on the calendar. It's someone who has... In the chronology he has demonstrated wisdom and judgment, maturity, spiritual leadership, spiritual guidance, who's demonstrated judgment that can be trusted, who's found favor and respect of all, whose character is illustrative of someone that is blameless and that the church can turn to, to stand before them in times of need, to be the voice that leads. That's what you're looking for when you look for a man who's an elder. And that's what you will be challenged to look for at the end of all this. And what I say with no melodrama intended here is serious stuff. It's not someone that you like. It's not someone that wins a popularity contest. Yeah, it probably needs to be somebody beyond a 25-year-old and, and, and younger than that. But it needs to be someone who's had time to demonstrate themselves. And by virtue of just necessary efforts, that's going to take some years on them. But listen, their church is filled with older people who are fools. There's old fools. So because someone's old doesn't mean they're elder material. Just because someone's younger in years doesn't mean they don't have wisdom and judgment and they can't be trusted. You're looking for someone who has demonstrated spiritual maturity that can lead you and me before the throne of God. Can we find that man? Do you see why it's important to take this time to simply walk through and look at the term that it's used because it's more than just something superficial. I know this is not a lesson that calls someone to the gospel, but perhaps you have a need in your heart that we can satisfy in some way. We invite you to come while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com we'd love to have you in person come if you can but thank you for connecting with us